This is Annie Grace, and you're listening to this Naked Mind podcast, where without judgment, pain, or rules, we explore the role of alcohol in our lives and culture. This episode is sponsored by The Path, the coach-guided membership designed to help you make alcohol small and relevant in your life by removing your true desire to grab that next drink. Our science-based, compassion-led program allows you not only to shift your behavior and your relationship around alcohol, but more importantly, uncover and reprogram your subconscious conditioning and neural connections that have been keeping you stuck for years. With daily live breakthrough coaching, an intimate and supportive community, regular peer-to-peer connection calls, and a complete vault of resources, this is where your path to total freedom and effortless enjoyment of your new way of life begins. Join us at NakedMindPath.com. Hi, this is Annie Grace, and welcome to this Naked Mind podcast, and I am here with Susan. Welcome, Susan. Thanks. It's great to be here. It's so good to have you. So why don't you take us sort of back to the beginning in your relationship with alcohol? Where did it all start for you? Um, well, I, the first time I drank, I was in eighth grade and I was at a sleepover at my friend's house and we drank Bacardi and orange juice, something with orange juice, either, either tequila or Bacardi. And we were downstairs, her parent, her mother was upstairs. I don't And we were downstairs and just kind of doing, we were like walking the drunk driving line, like going, look, I don't, you know, like we never (laughs) drank before. We're like, I don't feel anything. Do you feel anything? Look, I can still do this. And then of course, you know, 15 minutes later, we couldn't even get up the stairs. And then I threw up all night. She, she laughed and cleaned up after me and I threw up all night. And, um, and it's kind of cool because this particular friend and I reconnected and she actually just did, um, my alcohol-free boot camp this this um, past fall. So it was really neat that we were able to reconnect. Oh, that's um, so cool. What full circle moment? <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I didn't really drink in high school. I was in theater. I did a bunch of all the musicals and plays. And um, we would, yeah, I guess I remember having parties after shows and drinking, but usually I was in the corner barfing before. <laughs> I was just, a, you know, I just could not, I was never really a good drinker. I mean, any at any time of my life really so um yeah so um then in college I went to UCLA I was a theater major and at that time um yeah I was in shows again like I was just really busy I was I would say you know type a perfectionist overachiever go 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 do 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 you know and um there was a time we had three three of us girls in a two-bedroom apartment and each of us got to have our own room at one point. And it seemed like whenever the girl, one of us had our own room, that was the time when one of us got dumped or something terrible happened. And I remember we would drink, um, we drank white Zinfandel, the Moscato of the the eighties. So, um, but I didn't drink a lot, but I remember, I think my drinking was always for stress relief. You know, that's what we, you know, we did, um, and you know, and some social social life um, drinking, but it wasn't it wasn't until, um, I mean, I'm old, so you don't want <laughs> unless we like speed through the decades, but it really wasn't until my late 30s, early 40s, when I started working full time in a career type of job. I mean, I had my background in theater, I taught acting, I was in LA doing 
had an agent did, you know, auditions and things. And then I met my husband um, at a church in the Santa Fernando Valley. And so we went to church and um, our whole life kind of revolved around church so that there wasn't a lot of drinking in our social life. Our, at that time, our church um, friends didn't drink. And so, um, and so I taught acting classes and then his job moved us to Connecticut after we were married a couple of years. And, um, and he also had two um, twin, identical twin daughters um, when I married him. I was 24 and became a stepmom at the ripe old age of 24. And those girls ended up coming to live with us in Connecticut when they were 11. And our, by then my daughter was four. And then later on we had Luke. So at a certain point we had in Connecticut, we had four kids. I was kind of a stay-at-home mom, but I worked at the church as a church administrator. And at that time, our life really didn't revolve around alcohol. Um, I think I kind of missed the mommy wine culture, um, or maybe I was just in, doing stuff at church <laughs> and missed it that way. So um, when I started working at um, in my job, at, at my career job, um, and I started working full-time, my husband was self-employed, so he took care of the kids after school. And that's really where the stress of the job and raising a family and coming home, I don't know, it just seemed like that's what, that's what you did. You drank coffee in the morning and then you came home and you drank wine at night. And so I kind of just fell into that, yeah. Um, and the wine, it, it works until it doesn't, you know, it was, it did relax me. I remember my husband saying it made me normal because <laughs> I was always very kind of uptight, overachiever, and it would, it was like, that was like my vacation. That was my way of saying, oh, okay, I can relax now. You know, it was like wine, wine glass in hand, sitting down. That was like the, the white flag to everyone that was like, okay, I'm relaxing now. So, um, and I think I, um, I learned early on that, I mean, I knew early on that I was drinking more than like the acceptable amount uh, at the time or the seven drinks a week or whatever that is. And it bothered me and I was worried about it, you know, right away. But at the same time, it worked, <laughs> yeah. it helped. It was part of our my social life with my husband at that time. That's how we would connect. And that I'm kind of going all the way back in our marriage because yeah. when we would go out to nice dinners or we would go on vacation and we had our time alone is when you know we would drink usually alcohol was involved like um so i was probably in, i was in my late 30s or when i started at my job that i could my current job now and um and i don't blame the job at all of course uh, it was just like i said it was just what we do and i now I look back and I remember there was, um, I worked for a medical school and there was a doctor who, who, who I worked with in, in our area. And she used to say about IBS, she's like, that's the, the um, working woman's disease, a successful woman's disease, IBS, right? And, and we should, you know, she would joke around. And now I think like gray area drinking is a successful woman disease. I feel like it's sort of come to that. It's like what we do, you know, um, it's sort of been, sold to us is this cure-all it's you know you know it yeah. helps everything go better and um i certainly bought into that as well um so i right away couple well so at the time i was getting my mba because i here i had this theater degree and i wanted to go into a management position so i was getting my mba 
I was, you know, working full time. I have a daughter in high school at that time. The older girls had already graduated. My son is younger, so he was in elementary school. And I'm keeping all these plates in the air, and I'm thinking that wine is the thing that's keeping me together. You know, I'd sit down to write a paper at nine o'clock at night and like have my wine. You know. Yeah. And that didn't help. I mean, what was I thinking? I would just get tired. I thought it helped me be more creative, but I ended up, you know, getting my MBA. And shortly after I was like, you know, this isn't probably good. So I went to my pastor and I was like, I think, you know, I'm drinking too much. And the response was, well, if you think you have a problem, then you probably do. You're pro you should go to AA. And that was devastating. Like that was not the answer I wanted to hear it like really freaked me out and um and so I but I'm very obedient <laughs> person as to authority figures so I thought okay you know I remember going to my first meeting and like leaving and like bawling all the way home you know all the way home like oh my god I just this is you know and tell me, was, Susan tell me about your first meeting how like what was it like um, it was a big meeting. It was um, in a church, you know, in a church. It, they were lovely people. I mean, I didn't, I, they were lovely people. You know, everyone was very friendly and reached out to me and, you know, like, like welcoming me into this club that like nobody wants to be a, wants to be a member of. I mean, at least I didn't, you know, yeah. and um, yeah, it was, yeah. It was overwhelming, but it was it wasn't terrible. I mean, you know what I mean. The people were lovely, and I looked around and went, "Okay, you know." <laughs> it was so funny because after that, I started walking around, just looking around, going, "They could be an AA. They could be." It's like all normal people, you know what I mean? But like when you haven't been in there, if you haven't been in any meetings, you don't know. And so then I'm like, it just sort of opened me up to like any anybody could be somebody who goes to AA. But I didn't you know, I didn't buy into the fact that I had a disease. I didn't really buy into, you know, I'm doing some worksheets, you know, what am I a powerless over? I, I didn't feel like I was powerless um, over alcohol or powerless under alcohol. I yeah. just felt, um, but I went, I went for eight months. I stopped drinking, but at the time when I went to meetings, I would go drive really far to go to far away meetings. So I hope I would never see anybody I knew. It just really fed into the shame that I already had a really strong shame base already from my childhood. And I had an eating disorder in high school. Um, I have a thing and I'm, I'm bringing this up only because it did resolve itself with not drinking. I have a thing where I used to pull my hair um, it's called trichotillomania, which I didn't even know what it was until I was 30 years old, but I started this when I was like 13 and um, it's a body focused repetitive behavior and um, I would pull on my hair and I had like a little bald spot in the back, which um, since stopping drinking, I do not pull my hair out and I have my hair grew back in. I don't have a bald spot. So, I mean, it's pretty amazing. Like um, the that alcohol is sort of a trigger for it. it. It can exacerbate it and caffeine too, but I haven't completely given up coffee yet. So um, yeah, so I went for eight months. I found some lovely women's meetings. I did not ever feel like their stories were my stories. Like I didn't meet somebody who just drank a little too much white wine <laughs> on a nightly basis, you know? Right. So back to that very first meeting, um, and I want to hear more about the whole experience, but like when you 
what prompted me to ask in the first place was just that you said you were just bawling on the way home. And so I was curious where that emotion came from. Was it just the stage in the journey or? I think it was the shame and like, this is what it's come to, you know, and I totally, oh God, it's bringing up emotion. I totally blame myself. I mean, I totally was like, how did you get to this place, Susan? How could possibly, you know, and I, it was just, yeah, I was just devastated. And then it felt like for the next eight months that I was only good or if I didn't drink, mm-hmm. like my life could came down to one tiny little pinpoint thing of like nothing else mattered. And I was, yeah, I was only okay or good if I didn't drink and I didn't necessarily. Wow. Even I've never it. heard it. I've never heard it expressed that way before, but I'm just having a moment of like, the truth of that, like it's almost as if all of your worthiness as a human being comes down to this one behavior. Did you or didn't you? Are you or aren't you? Yeah. Wow. It's making me really feel the same way. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it fed my already, you know, my shame. Yeah, it's, it's a shame inducing mm-hmm. um, it was a shame inducing experience for me, for sure, for sure. Um, and then I, so I, I had a sponsor and she was lovely. Like everyone was lovely, but, and she's like, okay, call me every day. And I was like, I don't even call my mother every day. It was just very bizarre. But then the fact that somebody would give up so much of her life for me, I mean, that in a way was really a beautiful thing, you know, and that's where like coming back around of me being able to give back, it's, it's very meaningful to me. Um, but I went to her after eight months and I remember we were going to Vegas to visit one of my, my husband's um, daughters. And, um, and I was just like, I'm not going, there's a lot of, I have a lot of emotions around the girls and everything. And I was just like, I'm not going to Vegas and not drinking. <laughs> I was like, there's no way I'm making it through this trip with a lot of the other emotional things. And right. at that time I was just kind of like, I'm, I probably am, will be fine. I will just, I stuck to two drinks a, a, a day and, or less. And I did fine. I stuck to my gun, you know, I stuck, I remember having that first drink and thinking this doesn't taste good and this feels toxic. And even waking up the next morning feeling like this, I feel kind of crummy even over after two glasses of wine, you know? And, um, but so I, I came back and told my sponsor, you know, I think that, you know, I can monitor, mo- moderate, but I, I loved my life. I loved my lifestyle during the week with no alcohol. I just wanted to be able to drink like for special occasions, vacations, special dinners. And mm-hmm. so, and she just basically said, well, people who go to AA want, don't, are people who don't want to drink and basically kind of kicked me out. And then I just felt. Oh, wait, that was your sponsor that said that? Yeah. Yeah. And so I went, okay. And then I just never went back and felt very cut off and adrift from you know, at least I had stopped drinking, you know what I mean? And, and like, okay. And I did really well for a few years actually of just kind of, but I would still over drink occasionally and then beat myself up. But I kind of just, I didn't know where else to go. So I figured I was just on in this by myself, you know, which probably is even more shame inducing as well. Like, okay, now I failed AA. So now, you know, um, so yeah. Um, so I kind of was just out on my own. 
felt like I was just out on my own and I didn't hadn't didn't think there were any other options. I didn't really look either. So to be honest with you, you know, um, this was before your book came out though. This was in 2014, 14. Um, and then in 2015, my husband, um, was it 2000? Yeah, it was, it was November of 2015. So it was really 2016. Um, my husband and a, another business partner, we, we bought this music studio in, it was 10,000 square foot, had a huge stage, had music um, lesson rooms, had a rehearsal space for bands. And, um, and so we, so I would go to work again. So I'd work all day. And then I would go to the, the um, music studio at night and I would sub for the vocal teacher and teach voice lessons. Eventually I got a theater group going and we did some improv classes and, um, but it was a lot on top of a full-time job. And so that's where my drinking ramped up again, for sure. Um, it was, we got in this habit of being, you know, I'd go to work at 7.30 in the morning to my day job. Then I'd go there straight after work. And then we would go out to like a bar after work, have a couple glasses of wine and some, you know, whatever bar food, and then go home and go to bed and rinse and repeat. And and I also wasn't completely on board with buying this. And I was really mad at my husband during this time. And my drinking just ramped up. I mean, and you know, it's a problem when you're like drinking wine in your car before you go into the studio, you know, and you're like, I just need this from between two jobs. And I, I felt like I needed it to be nicer because I was pissed off all the time. And um but I also felt like I was always sneaking it too. It wasn't like I was not a party girl. Nobody, nobody knew. And people, you know, nobody, even people when they find out I don't drink now are kind of like, well, why? That's weird. You didn't have a problem, you know, because it wasn't really something people knew about. Um, and honestly, I, you know, you can't compare. It was just, I knew it was a problem for me because I mean, I didn't take a lot. Like I said, I was a barfer. It didn't really take me a lot to get too drunk. You know what I mean? So, um, but that's when it ramped back up again. So then in, um, but I just, at that point, I just was like, I don't care. I need this to like function. <laughs> and, um, and I was so mad about everything. I was just really in a dark place, depressed, probably def definitely um, not, our marriage wasn't great. And, but I still suited up and I suit up, show up, get her done, you know, and we did have some great times. I mean, we had a band, I was in a band, which is crazy. You know, we did end up doing a show, um, Lion King Jr. Um, so there were some good things, but it was a lot, it was too much. And so I have a history of doing too much, you know, the MBA, working full-time, kids, drinking, the music studio, working full-time, drinking, you know? Um, and so it's important even now in my alcohol-free life to make sure I am careful with those boundaries of not ending up doing too much because that's, well, it's just not good. <laughs> So, yeah. Um, so I, in 2019, May 2019, so it'll almost be three years, I did run across something that came up on my Facebook. Um, and it was a 21 day program. And I was just like, I hit, I just paid and hit and then like panicked afterwards, like, oh my God, what am I doing? You know, and then I showed up and it was like, 
the me too thing. It was like, oh my gosh, here's some people. These are my stories. They talked about, you know, the bottle breakdown and how to, how do you, how can a person actually drink a whole bottle of wine? And it's like, oh yeah, that's how you do it. Yep. 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 And you hear stories and everyone's like, yep, that's my stories. I finally found my people. And, um, so I did the 21 days and uh, then afterwards, a lot of people were like, I'm going to go 30, 60 days or, and I actually did 40 days, but then right after that, we went on vacation and I was like, okay, I wasn't going to, even my daughter was very supportive. She's like, Oh, I won't drink with you on vacation. And I was like, no, no, it's okay. You know, cause I just still went back to that same old, I wanted to get back to that place, you know? And, um, so we went on vacation. We didn't have any alcohol in the condo. It was only if we went out, but I could, this is where I could really see, and I didn't have any language for it until I did your program, the fixation versus liberation, because it was very much about, okay, well, where are we going? And does it have the wine that I want? And cause this was my one opportunity to like have my wine and, you know, and then I was, you know, I felt good because we were getting up. I, I could see the pattern of how over drinking can happen so easily. Like, you know, you come in from the beach and then you have a glass of wine while you're showering and then you have another glass of wine and then you go out. And by the time you go out, you've already had two glasses of wine and then, you know, and then, so that wasn't happening, but it was like, we better get to the restaurant though, so that I can get that, that glass of wine that I've, you know, allowed. So it very much became about the rules and, um, and then by July 4th, I'd overdrank and then beat myself up and then did another 30 days. And then I went into August and I didn't, my cousin was like, hey, I'm gonna do dry August. You wanna do it with me? And I was like, oh, I just finished dry July, <laughs> you know? But I said, okay, I'll do it with you. So then I did August. And then, so I basically did, I would say I was, could say I was successful at moderating in 2019 except that I was still in fixation versus liberation. And I would, if I did over drink, even if it was having three glasses, when I really told myself I'd have two or something like that, I would beat myself up. So I was just not, it wasn't, I wasn't free. You know what I mean? Um, and then when COVID hit, I just threw it all out the window. <laughs> I just said, it was very stressful at the, uh, trying to put the whole medical school curriculum online working from home was weird. Um, I couldn't still do my, we can only drink if we're out rules. And um, so I just started drinking with my husband again in the backyard. And then it was just like, it's so amazing how you can go to ze from zero to 60 so fast and it can go right back to, we're sitting there with one bottle. I'm like, okay, you need, you need to go get another one because this is gonna be enough for the two of us, you know? And, um, and then I woke up, then we, we needed to close the music studio. Then we were being sued by the former owners. And the whole time I'm just like, keep boring. You know, like why my husband's telling me all this. And I woke up though, we, we closed the studio in May. I drank pretty much, I mean, when I say I drank through it, I wasn't drinking in the morning while I was working. You know, it was just like when we we're closing the music studio, you know, I, I drank through May. And then at the end of May, I remember being depressed again, really depressed. I woke up in the morning and I just, you know, it was one of the, you know, you go to the mirror and you assess the damage <laughs> and or how you feel in the morning and like beating my, am I going to beat myself up this morning? Cause of how much, how badly I feel. Like if I woke up in the morning, and I didn't feel too bad. Then I'd be like, Oh, okay. I, I made, I did it. 
I drank and I don't feel too bad, you know, or is this yeah, going to be constant evaluation? Yeah. Yeah. Every day. Um, and I woke up and I thought, oh, who cares? And then just the thought came to me as I was like, I care. Mm -hmm. Just went, this is my life. I care. And I, I don't want to feel this way anymore. And then I happened to see your webinar at the end of May. Um, I don't even remember what day it was like. The, I don't remember. I love that. Just, for, just to pause for a minute, like, yeah. man, like that the whole idea of you caring and that whole moment, right. Of like almost giving ourselves permission to care because we're so conditioned to, well, if it's good enough, like looking at these external things, I feel like that's very true for food as well. You know, like external cues or external, like society's opinion about how much we should weigh or all of these things yeah. are so external society's opinion about, okay. Like even mentioning like, well, I wasn't drinking in the morning. Well, where did that even come from? That idea that it's totally okay to drink at 5 p.m., but not okay to drink at 7 a.m. Like that, that whole concept has nothing to do with alcohol or drinking. It has everything to do with what society has deemed right or wrong, good or bad. And so for you to, at some point, just kind of sweep all that away and say, but I care. <laughs> like that is just, I don't know, it's so powerful. So I just wanted to mention that. Yeah. Well, that was just the start and then your webinar I saw and when you started talking about asleep to um, aware to awake to alive. I was probably about half awake then, you know what I mean? I'd done that, you know, I had a lot of times under my belt of doing things without drinking. I didn't drink over Christmas. I didn't drink over Thanksgiving. I would, you know, I had many, many months of 30 days, but then I would kind of go back and then I would go, no, I was almost like I was putting myself in. And then, and then in March, March to May was sort of my, or the end of March to May, it was sort of like my own pause where I just went, screw it, forget it. I just, you know, didn't care. But then I woke up, I, I was realizing how bad I felt, right? Compared to the day, the months that I hadn't drank at all, you know, I'd wake up, I felt like crap. I would had so much anxiety. I felt depressed. And then all of a sudden it dawned on me that this was probably the alcohol causing this, you know? And, um, and when you went, when you talked about becoming alive, that's what I wanted. I was like, okay, that's what I want. That is what I want. And that's what I got, you know, from this naked mind from my husband calls it this, the naked path. And he keeps asking me, how can he get on the naked path? And I'm like, you are not invited, go away. So, um, so I started in June and what's really a funny story is that on June 10th, we went on vacation and I was like, oh crap, the foiled again, you know, vacation. So I was determined to go on this vacation and not drink, but it was, you know, I remember standing out on the deck and being like really itchy, you know, my husband's standing there having a beer and I'm like, I hate you. And I'm, I'm like on the deck of this place going, okay, like I'm going to really sit here and not drink wine. I'm like really going to be on this deck and not drink wine. And I went for a walk, you know, I had my, you know, headphones on. And I remember listening to one of your podcasts about, um, it was about, you know, maybe it'll suck. Maybe it won't just, you know, let go of all the expectations. And I thought that's, and I thought, okay, I can do that. I can just let go of expectations. What if it's a terrible, you know, if, if, if it sucks, it sucks. If it's great, it's great. But I didn't have any expectation of either one. And of course it was great. It was, 
once I got over that initial hump and we had such a good time, we laughed so hard. And, um, you know, my daughter at the time is old enough to drink. So she and her friend who came along had their white claws and I had my sparkling water and, you know, I don't know, the cans, they were both cans. It was like no big deal. It was really, was not a big deal. And I got through it and it was, it was a great, and, and with, like, I think you said in other of your teach, you know, teachings online, like you get through that first one and then it's like, oh, this is great. And then the next one, instead of being a 10, it, you know, um, in its hardness, it goes, it doesn't go to a nine, it goes down to like a three and you're like, oh, okay. Yeah, I could do this, you know? And that was really true. That was really true. Um, but I wanted to share was the, the alive content is really where, <laughs> where things change. Like I was definitely, hell bent on staying alcohol free for the hundred days. Cause I started with the hundred days and, um, and I had some hard times during that time. My husband's father was in hospice and died. Um, we went out to, to California from Connecticut. I went out twice. My husband just stayed out there and it was hard. You know, everyone was drinking wine, you know, and I was just in the corner doing my mantra mudra <laughs> and, you know, but I was, I was so close and there's so many tactics that I now, I want to tell, you know, people about um, who are looking to live an alcohol-free life. And one of them was a days buddy. I call it a days buddy. I don't know. And it was my, uh, I won't say her name, but E, she knows who she is. And she and I both had the same days. And I had a couple times where it was just really dicey, where I was really, really stressed out and like, I, I need a drink. I'm, I'm not going to, and then I was like, well, nope, I'm going to do it. What would I tell E? What would I, nope, I want to be, have the same days as her. Like it really, it helped, you know, to know, I don't know, that just helped to know I was, I wasn't going to let her down. I wasn't going to let me down. Um, and that, that helped. Um, and then when we had the memorial service, it was at the Hotel Del Coronado on, you know, this gorgeous overlooking the beach, all the drinks flowing, and I was not drinking. And that was probably the second, that was the next big event that would put a huge notch in my alcohol-free belt, I would say. That was the one that right after that, I can pretty much go anywhere and go, I could do anything if I could do that. And um, so I really am, I really think, you know, getting through going and doing these things that we think are going to be the hard things are part of the, of the journey. You know what I mean? They're important part of the journey. Um, yeah, hundred percent. I love that so much. I was going to say, we should skip back to that, um, alive just for, for yeah, people yeah. who don't know what, what we're talking about. Um, what on the webinar that that you're talking about I showed basically a diagram of a head and it was split by you know underneath the ears was kind of like what I was calling unconscious and then above the ears was what I was calling conscious and it was coming from this place of when we first when there's something in our lives that needs to change at first we're not even aware of it right? We're just totally asleep to it. That's the first place we start. And we are not conscious of it. We're totally asleep to it. We can't change it because we are not aware of it. So by definition, you cannot change something you're not aware of. Right. And then something happens. Usually a myriad of things happen. Lots of things happen. And all of a sudden we are aware. And for me, for me, this was, I knew something was wrong in my life. I knew that, you know, I was anxious. I knew that, you know, I was basically holding things together, but I was not yet really willing to be like, 
alcohol is the thing that's wrong. You know, in fact, I actually thought alcohol was the thing that was the solution to all the things. But then enough things happen, enough moments of discomfort where you move from that asleep place where you're unaware and you cannot change it to really awareness. And that's the aware place where it's now conscious. Right. Oh my gosh. Alcohol is the thing. And that's terrifying. Like that is the most terrifying place because you still can't change it or you start to try to change it. And all your attempts at trying to change it actually prove to you that you can't change it. You know, right. it's almost this self um, because you're not, you know, using uh, in my opinion, the right methodology, but, and so we, we go through that um, and it's so painful that place, but the, but awareness, although it's painful, like if, and especially if somebody's listening right now and they're feeling like, yeah, that's where I am. I realize alcohol is a problem. I have no idea how to change it. I would just say, take a moment to celebrate because, you know, you cannot change anything that you don't see. And so even in the awareness, you are on the right first step, you're on the path to changing it. And then we move into what we call awake, which is you're still conscious of it. It's, you're still very much in your awareness but you're actually able to change it. You're actually able to get some traction. You're able to do 40 days. You're able to do 60 days. But the thing is, is that you are still using conscious willpower in order to make that behavior happen. And one of the things that I find so fascinating about how we as a society have looked at alcohol in general is that we've considered that good enough. You know, it's totally good enough. Like you're not drinking Susan. So that's good enough. And like you said earlier, your entire worthiness is actually locked up in that question. Am I drinking or am I not? And if you're not, then that's good enough. But nobody is asking, Hey, Susan, how do you feel? How is that going for you? And, and I just like, it almost makes me sick to my stomach to be like, okay, so what you're going to use your entire life. And I think about it maybe in a somewhat different way, because I think of the human will. And I think that there's nothing more strong and fragile at the same time. Like if you think of the human will, it is so strong and it's so powerful. And if we violate a human's will, you know, you think of humans owning other humans or humans, you know, attacking other humans or abusing other humans, like the, the violation of will, there's nothing that makes us matter or we just know there's nothing worse, like to the, to the core of our being everything inside us as humans knows that that is absolutely wrong. And so with willpower, we're almost like trying to overpower our own will, right? Like we're trying to subdue our own will instead of looking at our motivations. Why do we want to do it in the first place? Having grace for ourselves. Like you are drinking because things are hard and you're doing the best you can with the tools you have. You just might have the wrong tools. No, we're just using this hammer to try to subdue our own will into behaving a certain way. And then by the way, according to society, if we behave that way, it's all good, but nobody's asking Susan, how do you feel? And so what you were talking about in that progression to alive, and especially the last six months of the path is that alive content that is all about going back underneath the conscious line and making that change unconscious. Like we don't consciously think about, you know, walking or driving to work or tying our shoes because we've done it so many times and it takes two things to make that change unconscious. It takes positive emotion. You really have to feel emotion, right? And I know that's really hard to believe that people would actually feel positive emotion about not drinking mm -hmm. and it takes repetition. And right. when those two things happen, you that's where real freedom is. Freedom does not 
exist in my opinion. When I was trying, when I was in that stage of using willpower, I was thinking about drinking and spending more time focused on drinking when I wasn't drinking than when I was. That's how I was all of 2019. Absolutely. Absolutely. That curriculum in the alive content. Well, that's where I started to start feeling better about myself, which actually at first felt weird. Like I would have feel good about myself and feel like, oh no, I shouldn't feel that way. That's kind of conceited or it was weird because I literally, it was, and it was sad to think that I did not ever really feel good about myself unless it was around an accomplishment. And then I wasn't even good about taking like, you know, when people say, oh, that was really good. I'd be like, oh, no, no, no. You know, like, I wasn't good about taking compliments at all. And I, I remember just feeling like waking up one day and just feeling good and then going, oh, that's, that's weird. And then I started kind of this, you know, yeah, I, I used all the, I, I, I tried all the tools in the hundred days. I did all the work in the alive of the live um, content and yeah. And the, and the changes just started happening. I started meditating. I started, I, I do a little bit of yoga. I'm not great at it, but I do yoga because the, it, the breathing and the repetitive movement really helps me get out of my head. Um, I, what the biggest change to, and I really want to share this that happened was that it completely changed my relationship with my husband because I started using the just the thought work to look at my own thoughts that I had about him and I had had for years about him and asking that question is it true mm -hmm. is that really true and being able to make a different choice and at first it was it was a cognitive thing, just like the, you know, the process. It was like, I had, to, <laughs> I had little stickies up on my mirror that said, I love Lance, which just cracks me up because it's like that show, I love Dick, <laughs> you know? So every time I would see it, it kind of cracked me up. But I also just was like, I love Lance. Like, I just was telling, you know, like, I do love him. I started questioning all my thoughts about it. You know, I mean, I use this example all the time. Like, he, hey, where's the can opener? And like, my immediate thought would be like, oh, he doesn't know where the can opener is. That's because he doesn't do anything around here. And then it just snowballed, you know? And then, so I thought I used this actually in this exact thing. I went, well, could it be true? Is that really true? He's a, he's a jerk because he doesn't know where the can opener is. Well, could it be true or truer that maybe Luke put, my son put the can opener somewhere weird, you know, or, or to the extreme of, does it even serve me to think he's a jerk because he can't find the can opener? Should I just drop it and just tell him where the can opener is? Like, does that whole thought process even work? You know what I mean? And I just started doing this with a lot of my thoughts and, um, and he was willing to, to work on, you know, it takes two. He was, he did the um, alcohol experiment in October I said, can, will you do that? Just so you understand the language about what I'm going through. You understand, you know, and he, after his dad had passed away, he could have, he could have used a month off. <laughs> so, and he was like, yeah, I'll do it, you know, and, um, and we've been in, we have a therapist and she loves the work that I've been doing. Like, she's just always, she even asked me, what's that program you did again, you know, for another client. And, and I told her, and um, so, you know, but it really did change so it changed my life. It, I mean, I'm the same person. I'm married to the same husband. I have the same house, same job. Everything in my life is ex externally is exactly the same. And the only thing that's different is that I am completely different 
That's so awesome. I I feel so similar to that. I mean, I know that 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 content of just noticing our thoughts and questioning our thoughts and asking ourselves, is it true? What am I making it mean? You know, it's so pivotal. It's so transformational because, um, yeah, you can show up in such a different way. And there's so much suffering that happens that you're just causing and you don't know you're causing. It's not your fault. You just have no idea that you're causing your own suffering, right? It's just awesome. Yeah. Well, that's great. So, yeah. So Susan, I know that you have since become a certified This Naked Mind coach, which is so exciting. And where can people find you? Uh, They can find me at susanlarkincoaching.com. And I still have my full-time job. So I'm doing this as a a passion project right now. And um, I have, I love working with women and helping them just see you know, see their worthiness and, um, and become alive. That's what I'm, that's what I want for any, everyone, anyone who wants that. (laughs) That's what I'm selling, you know? Um, and I, because it, it truly happened for me and it does make me sad when I see people who are like, oh, I couldn't do that because, you know, because I, I don't drink. And I'm like, why, why could you not? Like I've been to Napa, I've been to Sonoma, I'm in Key West right now, which I have to say is very boozy. <laughs> Duval Street is like, yeah. But I even realized though, that's not a place I would have liked to go even when I was drinking. Like I said, I wasn't the party girl, you know what I mean? And so we've been, we've been having a great time here and pretty much, you know, I order what I want. We go to the store, I bought my, you know, um, sparkling waters and stuff like that. I mean, you could do anything and everything's fun and wonderful without drinking. (laughs) Drinking doesn't add anything to obviously anything to, uh, except make you feel bad in the morning. (laughs) I love that so much. It's so awesome. So let me ask you the question that I ask at the end of these podcasts, which is if you were able to go back to Susan, who, um, you know, was kind of over drinking, but keeping in control. And especially the Susan, I guess, let's go back to the Susan who was crying on the way home from her first AA meeting and just feeling so devastated and hopeless and just beating herself up. Um, What would you tell her about what life is like now? How would you encourage her? Well, this is what I wanna help do is tell people there's another way that AA isn't the only way. This is what I would love to, to get the word out on to pastors and doctors and anyone who's in a position to help a gray area drinker or someone who, you know, just says, Hey, I think I'm drinking a little too much is like, you know, it's not a death sentence. Um, um, and that learning about how alcohol affects your brain and your body and really getting this, this conversation into the wellness conversation, because it really is about wellness. It's about brain wellness. It's about breast wellness. It's for women. It's about, you know, it's just about wellness altogether. And why is it any different than going gluten-free or, you know, dairy-free or all the other things we're free of, you know, alcohol-free and, you know, really overcoming the stigma. But for that, Susan, yeah, I wish that I could have, that I could have been there to see that there's another way, you know, and there's a positive way. And yeah, give her a hug. (laughs) So, and I want to do that. I want to do that for others. I want to help people see there is another way and, and that you don't have to wait to, till you hit rock bottom. I mean, I don't know that I did hit rock bottom. I 
um, or I had a high bottom or whatever they say, who cares? You know what I mean? I just decided one day that I was, I didn't want to do this anymore. <laughs> that wasn't making me feel good about myself. Um, and that if you're at that place, you know, I say alcohol, I, what did I tell my brother? So when we, so we went to Mexico and my, this is the first time I told my brother about not drinking and he was like, so he'd already had a few margaritas. He's like, why the hell would you want to do that? You know, and I'm like, <laughs> my wife looks at me. But later I said, it's a lifestyle. I was, I, as we were swimming up to the swim up bar and he got his beer and I got my alcohol-free pina colada. I said to him, I said, I drink whatever I want, whenever I want. And he goes, oh, good. I can be part of that club. And I'm like, uh-huh. And I said, it's a lifestyle, not a life sentence. Mm. That's my little tagline on my email is that it's at the time when you go to your first, if you know, at the time when I went to my first AA meeting and I was driving home crying, it felt like a life sentence, Yeah, you know, Absolutely. and, um, and it's been the best thing that I've ever done. I feel like my confidence has come back and um, yeah, I'm starting to like myself a little bit. <laughs> That's awesome, Susan. Well, thank you so much for coming on and sharing your story. It's such a good one. And I, I just really appreciate it. Well, it was such a pleasure. Thank you so much. Are you ready to make instant changes to your drinking? The answer is not in restriction or deprivation. And no, you don't need more self-control. I'm here to tell you that you can break your patterns and habits and finally feel liberated from alcohol. You can return to a life where alcohol is small and irrelevant for you, a non-issue, take it or leave it. In fact, I have three secrets to control your drinking and I'm going to teach them all live in a special three-day virtual event from March 28th through the 30th. Learn these three secrets to control your drinking and make changes instantly live with us. Save your spot today at controlalcohollive.com. I can't wait to see you there. And as always, rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast as it truly helps the message reach somebody who might need to hear it today.